Ruth is only four chapters long, but it is a beautiful, lovely book, isn't it? It's a, it's a book that moves us very deeply. And I almost want to say that if you are not moved at reading Ruth, you have no heart. <laughs> and of course, we have seen some of the reasons why as we have studied the book of Ruth. And we have noticed that Ruth actually weaves together three separate but interconnected stories. First, of course, there is the redemption of one ruined family. Elimelech and Naomi fled famine in Bethlehem and went to live in Moab. But Moab, rather than being a place of new beginnings, became the place where everything ended. Naomi lost her husband. She lost her two sons. And so she came back to Bethlehem broken, empty, and bitter. And Naomi, for humanly unexplicable reason, gave up her chance at a new life and happiness. She bound herself to the sufferings of her mother-in-law, Naomi, came back to Bethlehem as a stranger, as a foreigner. But when they came back, these two widows had nothing. And they were facing dire circumstances. They were actually facing starvation. But we began to see how God acted in his loving kindness. And he began to turn Naomi's bitterness to joy. And she, God began to fill Naomi's emptiness to fullness. And last chapter, we saw how it culminated with Boaz taking on the role of a redeemer. And so we saw throughout the book of Ruth a redemption that came to one ruined family. But there is also a second story, which is the hope that came to a sin-defeated nation. You remember how the book of Ruth began saying that in the days when the judges ruled, and those days were the days of spiritual darkness and misery, and you notice how the, the book of Ruth ends with the genealogy. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. So this is a story not only of one individual or family being rescued, but this is also a story of God rescuing a nation by providing them a king. And that's what Ruth is presenting to us. But there is also a third story. You all know, of course, that our Lord and Savior Jesus, he comes from the line of Boaz and David. And so when we read the book of Ruth, we realize that this is not just a story about some strange people in a faraway country, but that every believer redeemed by Jesus Christ is brought into this story, and this story is our story. And so the book of Ruth weaves together these three separate but interconnected stories. And as we conclude today, uh, we are going to take a moment or two to focus on these three aspects. And the first is uh, Naomi's redemption. Naomi's redemption. Once again, Naomi came back from Moab empty and bitter. Then Naomi goes from empty to full. She goes from having no future to having a secure future. And she goes from singing a lament to singing God's praise. 
And how did this change come about? Well, these changes came about not because of our schemes and not because of good luck. And we have seen throughout that these changes came to her because of God. God's loving kindness, His steadfast love. And we saw how God's grace came to her chiefly through two figures, two Christ-like figures of Ruth and Boaz. And so very fittingly, uh, this book of Ruth concludes with praise for these three movers of this book. The book of Ruth concludes with praise for God, praise for Boaz, and praise for Ruth. And so look at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Of course, Ruth had been barren for many years. Um, This story doesn't give us how Ruth is processing these changes in her life because the emphasis is really on Naomi uh, because Naomi at an individual level serves as a representative figure for the nation that has fallen but is being rescued by God's grace. But can you imagine what this meant for Ruth for having been barren and then the Lord gave her conception. You know, when she gave up her chance at happiness and decided to come with Naomi, she probably thought she was giving up everything. But when she gave up everything in order to love, in order to show compassion, the Lord, in the end, blessed her. And it was the Lord who gave Ruth conception. And Naomi's redemption, you see, is God's doing. Verse 14, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. Do you see, all glory and credit and praise and honor belong to the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. So there is praise given to the Lord. You know, what a change. At the end of chapter 1, we heard bitter complaints. And of course, we can't fault Naomi. She lost so much. And yet, what a beautiful thing this is that the book of Ruth ends with joyful praise. Having said that, I have to tell you that the Hebrew grammar is a little ambiguous when it says, may his name be renowned in Israel. Because it raises a question, whose name should be renowned? Is the author saying that the Lord's name should be renowned? Or is the author saying that the Redeemer's name should be renowned? So the grammar there is actually ambiguous because it can be legitimately be read as the author saying, may the name of the Lord be renowned in Israel. And at the same time, it could be read as May the name of Boaz be renowned in Israel. So which is it? Is it the name of the Lord that is to be renowned, or is it the name of Boaz that is to be renowned? Well, it turns out it's not either or, 
but it's both and. You see, when, when we serve the Lord for His glory, when we love Him and when we give ourselves for His name and for His glory, we find that the glory of the Lord is our glory. And when we live and serve the Lord for His praise, we find that we are praised. I think we have some uh, taste of that in our earthly life. Those of you who are parents, when your children experience success, don't you feel successful? Don't you feel glad? And when your spouse is experiencing great joy in life, don't you feel joyful too? When we love somebody, we share in their love, we share in their success, don't we? And that's why I think it's important for us to recognize that when it comes to serving God, it's not either or, but it's both and. You see, it turns out, and I think we forget this sometimes, it turns out God only forgets our sin and our guilt, but He remembers all of our service to Him, whether big or small, however haltingly, however clumsily, and however weakly we serve Him. When we serve Him with faith and love in our heart, yes, with faith that is weak and imperfect, with love that is weak and imperfect, our Father remembers every act of our service to Him, and He richly rewards those that love Him and serve Him. And that is why it's not either or. It's not either God's name is praised or Boaz, one or the other. It's as God is glorified, Boaz shares in the glory. As God is praised, Boaz is praised as well. And so we see that, don't we? Boaz became the kinsman redeemer for Naomi. And with it, he assumed the responsibility and the expense uh, in order to, in a manner of speaking, to bring back Elimelech's dead family back to life. And that's what Boaz did. And what Boaz did uh, gives us not only a window into Boaz's heart, it gives us not only a window into his inner soul and shows us what sort of a man he was, but it also gives us a window into God's compassion the compassion that God has for ruined people, the compassion that He has for suffering people. And it gives us a window into God's heart, His longing to see His people made whole. Boaz shows us God's heart. And when someone shows us God's heart, that person is worthy of honor. That person is worthy of praise. And that's why the author, in one single breath, is able to praise the Lord and Boaz. But of course, Ruth is also worthy of praise. Look at verse 15. The women say, he, this time it's talking about Boaz, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, 
for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Now, first of all, it's recognizing that Naomi's redemption would not be possible without Ruth, without her sacrifice, without her deep love. And it's a very high praise. Your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. You have to remember that this is a time when women were not counted as uh, men's equals. Um, Now, by the way, let me say that that's not God's will. When God created man and woman, he created, created them to be equally the bearers of God's image. But through sin and through misery and through curse, we are finding ourselves in a a time and a culture where women are not counted as man's equal. But God doesn't wait until our culture becomes perfect uh, before he steps into our uh, culture to work. He steps into messy, can I say it, screwed up places to bring his grace. But this is a time and place where women were not counted men's equal. So it is incredibly high praise for us to hear that Ruth, better than seven sons, better to you more than seven sons. And of course, she deserves every bit of that praise. And this praise is fitting. And a love like that should be celebrated. Love like this should be recognized. And so that's Naomi's redemption, that God's grace worked out through Boaz and Ruth have rescued her. And the Lord and Boaz and Ruth are praised here. Now, secondly, we come to Israel's redemption. Israel's redemption. So look at verses 16 and 17. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And reading that, you realize that the message of Ruth is so much more than what people often or typically think it is. When people read Ruth, uh, sometimes the conclusion they draw from that is, I need to be more like Boaz and I need to be more like Ruth. Now, certainly, Boaz and Ruth are very admirable people and it is right for us to be challenged by them and to have aspirations to become like them. That being said, you realize that the message of Ruth is actually a little more than be like Boaz and be like Ruth. Because once again, uh, the book of Ruth began with these words, in the days when the judges ruled. And in those days, Israel was in the darkness of spiritual apostasy. So much so that the book of Judges ends in chapter 20 and verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Complete anarchy, complete apostasy, complete darkness. And when they picked a king who seemed right in their eyes, Saul, he continued to do what was right in his own eyes. But then this genealogy at the end of Ruth, it points us to King David. David. 
And King David was one of whom it is said in 1 Samuel chapter 13. This is what the prophet Samuel said. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. You see, Israel, they did what was right in their own eyes. And when they picked out a king that seemed right in their own eyes, he was a disaster. But the Lord provided for them a king, a king who would not do what was right in his eyes, but a king whose heart was after God's heart. And so Israel's spiritual darkness is lifted, and the nation is brought into blessedness because of a king who walks after God's word and because of a king who thinks God's thoughts after him. That is why Ruth is the story of redemption, not just of one ruined family, but it is the story of hope that comes to the whole nation through God-appointed King David. It's a story of a God who does not treat his people as their sins deserve, but it is a story of God who overcomes the sin, the failings, the shame, the guilt of his people with this gracious provision. But there's more. Uh, This genealogy at the end of Ruth and Ruth herself are included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. It's a long genealogy. Let me just read you verse 5. Matthew 1.5, And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. And it goes down all the way to Jesus, you know, don't you? It mentions Rahab. You know, there's only one Rahab in all of Bible whose name can be mentioned without any explanation, and you are expected to know who that is, and that's Rahab of Jericho. Uh, She was a prostitute, a prostitute who put her trust in the Lord, and by faith, she was included in God's covenant community. Jesus descended from Rahab, a Gentile woman with a checkered past. And Jesus also descended from Ruth, again, a Gentile woman with nothing to claim a woman who had no future. And that tells us several things. First of all, it was always the Lord's purpose to bring in the Gentiles into his family. But also, it tells us something really important about Jesus, that Jesus was never ashamed to be counted among sinners. And Jesus was never ashamed to be counted among the outsiders. You know, during Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, the religious authorities condemned him as friend of sinners. You know, they could not have paid Jesus a greater compliment because Jesus was never ashamed to be with sinners. Do you see how Jesus... Is like Boaz and Ruth, but more. Jesus, like Boaz, t- 
took up upon himself the responsibility and the expense to rescue a ruined people. But whereas Boaz paid with money, Jesus paid with this blood and with this life. Do you see how Jesus was like Ruth, but more? He gave up his comfort and bound himself to the suffering of his beloved to the extent even to taste death for the sake of his beloved. And do you see how Jesus is like David? But more, David walked after God, but imperfectly. Jesus did it perfectly. David brought peace upon the nation for a little while. Jesus gives us lasting peace. David longed to build God's house, but he could not. The risen Jesus makes his people into God's temple and God's dwelling place. What we love about Boaz and Ruth and David are the echoes of Jesus. Because Boaz and Ruth and David all lead us to the great Redeemer. And the question is, how shall we then honor him? How shall we then celebrate what he has done? And that brings us today to our third and the last point, which is our redemption, our redemption. Now note how Naomi's and Ruth's redemption led to a changed status and life. They are no longer empty. They are filled. They are no longer grieving. They are rejoicing. They are no longer singing lamentation. They are singing praises. Redemption changed them, and redemption changes us. But how? How does redemption change us? And I'd like to suggest to you uh, some interesting uh, perspective of thinking about this. Uh, did you know that the Hebrew scriptures of the Jewish people, their Old Testament, is the same Old Testament that we have, word for word. But in the Hebrew scriptures of the Jewish people, some of the books are arranged in a different order. In our English Bible, the book of Ruth is sandwiched between Judges and 1 Samuel to give us a chronological perspective. In the days when the judges ruled, God prepared the king in the book of Ruth, king's line in the book of Ruth, who goes on to become the king in 1 Samuel. So in the English Bible, these stories are arranged in a something of a chronological matter. But in the, the Hebrew scriptures of the Jewish people, the book of Ruth follows the book of Proverbs. And that's really interesting because Book of Proverbs, it's all about gaining an insight into the inner workings of God's heart and mind so that we may become like him. And it begins with the words, doesn't it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs ends with chapter 31, which has proved to be both inspiring and exhausting to many people. Proverbs 31.10, it says, 
an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. And then it goes on to talk about the, the, the dizzying list of things that she does, um, all resulting in her husband's honor and praise. And it ends, Proverbs 31, verses 30 and 31, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. And over the years, I've seen that uh, sometimes well-meaning Christian ladies uh, are so inspired and challenged by Proverbs 31 and they want to live according to it. But while they are well-meaning, sometimes what happens is that these precious and well-meaning Christian ladies turn Proverbs 31 into something of a law uh, for their lives in order to find their self-worth. And when they do that, they soon find Proverbs 31 crushing, exhausting, rather than inspiring. But I want to suggest to you that the purpose of Proverbs 31 may be a little different than giving women an endless to-do list. You see, as I mentioned earlier, the book of Ruth follows the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs 31, verse 10, it asks the question, an excellent wife who can find? And that phrase, the excellent wife, is actually the same, exact same Hebrew phrase that we read in Ruth chapter 3 in verse 11, when Ruth is called a worthy woman. It's exactly the same Hebrew phrase. So Proverbs 31, it says, an excellent wife who can find, a worthy woman who can find. And then the very next book, here she is, you see. And in addition, this woman in Proverbs 31 is held to such a high standard because she's a wife of a worthy man. And you got a picture of the worthy man in Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. He is said to open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So this worthy man, he opens his mouth for the mute. And the Hebrew word for mute was used uh, uh, as a metaphor for the widow. It speaks to the fact that when you become a widow, you lose your rights and you are silenced. And so the worthy man, he opens his mouth to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. A worthy man seeks out the interests of those who are destitute. He judges rightly. He defends the rights of the poor and the needy. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Boaz, doesn't it? He's the one who opened his mouth to speak for the widow, to care for the destitute, for the poor. And so the way that the Proverbs 31 ends and leads into Ruth, it tells us something, and that is Proverbs 31 is a little bit more than 
giving women a list of things to do. It's asking you to think about who is the worthy man? Who is the worthy woman? And the very next book tells us it's Boaz. It's Ruth. And as Proverbs leads into Ruth, the larger point appears to be that Boaz and Ruth both embody wisdom because they have embraced the fear of the Lord. And doing so, they show us the characteristics of the redeemed and rescued life. You see, Proverbs and Ruth connection, it really anticipates gospel life. Jesus, Jesus spoke up for the destitute and the needy. Jesus judged rightly. Jesus is the worthy one. And we, his bride. We do not live for ourselves, but we live for the praise and the honor of our worthy Redeemer. And so that seems to me what it means to be changed by redemption. We don't live for ourselves. We live for our worthy Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So is that a loss? Do we give up too much in order to live for Jesus? Is it too big of a sacrifice? Well, let me remind you. When he is praised, we are praised. When he is honored, we are honored. When he is glorified, he shares the glory with us. And if we remember that, it doesn't sound so bad, does it? And that's what redemption life is, to live for the worthy Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for instructions. Uh, We thank you that we see in the lives of Boaz and Ruth the beauty that blossoms and flowers in the life and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Jesus, for redeeming us from our sin, from our guilt and our misery, and making us your beloved people and your bride. And so help us, Jesus, we pray, that we may give our whole heart, our energy, our time for your glory and for your praise, knowing that when we serve you, we don't make any sacrifice. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.